with a vision, where we discuss all things supervision. I'm your host, Sarah, professional counselor, marriage and family therapist, play therapist, eating disorder specialist, and cookie lover, with my co-host, Heather, marriage and family therapist, certified together in Texas counselor, a Texas transplant from California, and outdoor adventurer. Hi, welcome to Supervision with a Vision. Today, Heather and I are talking about the use of self-disclosure in counseling and supervision. We read Counseling Today's recent article, Counselor Considerations for Disclosing LGBTQ Plus Identity. Heather, what did you learn in your training about self-disclosure and how do you guide supervisees around using self-disclosure? When I was in school, my, actually my favorite professor, taught class on ethics and just how to conduct yourself in sessions. He taught us that it was our choice what we disclosed, but be prepared for the fallout. And yeah. that kind of scared me. Very <laughs> practical. Right. Very practical, but it was scary mm-hmm. because I was like, well, what do you mean? Why would it matter if someone knew I was married or not? Why mm-hmm. would it matter if someone knew I had a child or not? His point in teaching that was that every single thing we did in session mattered and we didn't know their thoughts. We didn't know their thought process. He even talked about decorating your office at the holidays, what you wear, not just looking mm. professional, but would you ever wear like a sticker that says you voted? Mm-hmm. You know, would mm-hmm. that prompt a conversation right. that you may not want to have with a client? I like that. In the article, it actually does, and we didn't talk about including this, but it discusses nonverbal and verbal self-disclosures. Right. Your professor discussed the idea of nonverbal self-disclosure, like decorating for the holidays, something you might wear or right. not wear, right? and also verbal self-disclosure. Right. And that all of those things impact the relationship. Right. And simple things I hadn't, of course, at the time as a student really even considered, like, how could knowing I'm married negatively mm-hmm. impact somebody because that seems very benign, very simple. Mm-hmm. But you know, he really did a great job explaining that someone that is dealing with like a dating issue or dealing with spousal abuse may mm-hmm. really view those things differently. That they might have some preconceived ideas that then interact with your what they perceive as your ideas. Right. Really complicated. I think similar to what you're talking about, I was taught that you always need to rely on ethical decision making models. Mm-hmm. in order to determine what you share and what you don't share. Right. But I think it's a whole nother level to teach young counselors, new counselors, not always young, right. that the nonverbal is just as important as the verbal self-disclosure. You know, I had a session with a supervisee last holiday season. She came in, she was decked out with like gaudy Christmas wear. And I mm-hmm. was like, well, mm-hmm. hello. Right. Like some great uh, <laughs> right. blingy right. lighting up earrings right. or something. And yeah. I said, how are you today? And she kind of snickered. And I said, made a comment about her like lighting up the room or something. Yeah. And she kind of snickered and she said, well, my whole office is doing it. Like everyone oh. today is doing it. I said, oh, okay, how fun. And she said, yeah, we're being fair. So we're including lots of holidays, not just Christmas. And I said, oh, what a great idea. And what do the clients think? And she's like, they hate it. Oh, how funny. So interesting that she really knew. Right. She was aware, she very was aware that aware. they knew that yeah. they didn't like it. They thought yeah. it was distracting. They hmm. thought that it was fake, that they were trying to celebrate all the holidays, mm-hmm. those kind of things. 
thinking about how students are taught or trained related to self-disclosure, I have been a part of different programs where the message is very different than what you and I received. Mm -hmm. I can think of different master's level programs where the emphasis is placed on don't self-disclose. Yes. And I think that that's tricky and complicated because at what point then do new counselors get the experience of self-disclosing or explore that in order to learn from it? And I think different settings, not just educational, but like different clinics if you're working in have different ideas behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, You really have to make sure before you take some of those positions that you can stand behind whatever they're representing. Because if Mm. you work in a clinic and they're like no self-disclosure and you're open with a lot of your clients, that can be a problem as well. Well, I think what you and I are saying to each other is there really isn't the option of no self-disclosure, that in some way you're You're self-disclosing whether you're in. I mean, so the option is be intentional about your self-disclosure or not. Right. Not So the question is not do or don't, but Mm -hmm. intentional or unintentional. That's my goal as a supervisee or supervisor, sorry, is that when I talk to my supervisees about self-disclosure, I'm asking them to be purposeful and intentional and ask themselves, if I choose to self-disclose, how does that help this client work towards their treatment goal? One of the things I've done before in session, especially with very new supervisees, is to have them write down, split your paper in half. What do you share with this client? So that you're able to see it on paper in front of you. Mm -hmm. Okay, we both are the same gender. Okay, we're both the same age. Yeah, I was thinking when you described that as an example, married or not married, that you maybe on one side of the paper would write, okay, the potential or the idea that I self-disclose I'm married. And then the other side would be they think that's a positive because they're married. Right. They think that's a negative because they're divorced. Right. They think that's a negative because exactly. their mother's trying to get them to hurry up and get married. Right. That, All that of those disclosure things mm-hmm. that you just take into account, could they go either way? Which way? Right. They... Which way could they go? And then just being prepared with whether you share that or not. You want to look and see if it brings benefit to your session. Right. You don't want it to just random knowledge floating out there. Be intentional. Heather, in the article that we read, they discussed intra-therapy disclosure, which is vocabulary I hadn't heard before, but it makes a lot of sense. And it defines intra-therapy disclosure as disclosing a counselor's opinions or beliefs. When is a time when you've come across this or an example of what that might be for you and how it would impact a client or Um, supervisee? Someone that's sharing their thoughts from like a sermon. So I'll share my thoughts on it or my opinions on it. Not going to do that with a client, Mm -hmm. but with a supervisee, if we're talking about something that struck us this week or something we heard, and then we have like thoughts or opinions, I'm sharing that, but we're not going in depth. We're just saying, oh yeah, I've heard that person speak or I've heard that sermon before. I think generally I try to avoid these situations where I'm giving my personal opinion, though recently this has become far more complicated. And we've talked about it in our last couple of episodes. I have supervisees and clients who are wanting to discuss views on Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. They want to discuss views on COVID-19 precautions. I've had some really cool, great conversations with kid clients Mm -hmm. about disparity in the world, but they want to know what I think. And the same with my supervisees, that they are interested to know what I think. Mm -hmm. Maybe the most recent time with my supervisees, we've been talking about legalizing marijuana Mm -hmm. and the implications that has towards psychiatric medication. They want to know what I believe. When that comes up for me, I try to present neutral ideas and say, well, this is what some people believe, or this is why some people are having a hard time understanding this, making this decision. I think I try to present a couple 
couple of different viewpoints right. and not just my own. I also try to avoid giving my own. I have circumnavigated that pretty well before mm -hmm. with a client. With a supervisee, I would be more open. I actually had a client just flat out ask me, you're wearing an I voted sticker. Who'd you vote for? And <laughs> so I just flipped it around and said, why is that important to you? I was going to say in the treatment of eating disorders, there's a lot of curiosity from clients to clinicians. Do you have an, a history of an eating right. disorder yourself? A savvy way or a way that I know a lot of clinicians handle that is that they return their question back like you right. are to the client and say, would it help you or would it hurt you in treatment to know, that. To know right. if I do or if I don't? And then looking at both sides with them. Right. right. So that's the same thing that you're suggesting doing with a supervisee, mm -hmm. also doing it with a client. Yeah, I like that. What about, Heather, extra therapy disclosure? Another word that I had not heard until reading this article. And in the article, they define it as details about the counselor's life. So maybe not personal opinions or definitely not in a personal opinion, but the details of a counselor's life. So with your supervisees or counselors, how do you handle those situations or what are examples of those that come up for you? I would say all of my supervisees know that I have three kids. They know that I'm married. They know that I love outdoorsy stuff. That's pretty much because we have small talk at the beginning of session. But the small talk I have with clients is not like that at all. With clients, it's very different. It's about the weather or about something that looks different about the client or it's much more towards them. Mm -hmm. There are things you happen to disclose because of situations. I had a situation where my husband and I were meeting to swap kids in the parking lot. <laughs> well, guess what? Now you know I have three kids and I have a girl and two boys because you saw me you in the parking them. lot. When you're thinking about therapy disclosure with supervisees, is there a purpose for them knowing I'm married, I have three kids? I think so. I think part of it is just say that this is where I am in life. This is what my mm -hmm. life is now. But I think the other part of it also says something about how I may view things in counseling. My experience has led me this way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important for them to know. I want to know a little bit about them too, so I can understand where they're at. A big purpose or intent behind you sharing those details of your life are to build relationships. Right. I'm looking for that connection that we can have. Mm -hmm. You want that from them, and so you want it to be reciprocal. Right. I have one supervisee that has told me, I really like the fact that you had kids and you're a mom and you're doing this because that's what I want to do. Like her kids were still super little. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but you've shown me that it, it can work. I was not intentional with sharing that with right. her because of that, but she right. got something from it. Right. I'm remembering back to a previous episode of ours where we talked about mentors. So she picked you based on the fact that you are her five-year mentor. Right. She could see you five to right. ten-ish years mm -hmm. out and think, that's this what I be... imagine myself doing. Right. That happened, but I wasn't aware of it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of those things that can come from sharing. Now, mm -hmm. I don't give super great details about my personal life. You're not going to know what I did Friday night, unless it was for the context of sharing a story. You know, I keep that more private. I think a lot of this happens for me. I think similar to what you're saying, they want to know the context around which I'm making decisions or where right. I'm coming from. A lot of clients, parents, supervisees ask me pretty regularly how old I am. Oh, wow. If I'm married, do I have kids? And it's interesting because they don't ask, do I have kids? They most often ask how many I have. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the client, have to think, how does that impact their, their counseling relationship with me, whether they know it or don't know it? So sometimes I'm intentionally really vague. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm more clear. I also think, how does me not telling them or not being completely right. transparent affect them? I could give them something vague, but maybe it results in them thinking, Sarah's being vague with me on purpose. Right. Why, Why is she, she being vague right. with me on purpose? There might be some value in me telling them for the purpose of them knowing that I'm going to be direct with them. There are times when our paths are going to cross. Mm -hmm. I've ran into a client in a restaurant before. Guess you're going to know that I was at that particular mm -hmm. restaurant on mm -hmm. that night. There's nothing you can do about it. I start every session, or not every session, every new 
new session, like intake session. With We might live in close proximity to each other. So it's your choice if we see each other out and about. If you want to acknowledge True. me, that's oh, fine. That's a good example. And if you don't mm-hmm. want to acknowledge me, that's fine. I'm realizing I do that when I notice that there's a possibility, maybe a client and I or a supervisee and I run in a small enough circle. We might cross. That we might cross. I've definitely mentioned within the podcast before that I swam for a long time. It's still a relatively small world. If a client or a supervisee mentions that they were a swimmer, I will probably mention it, go ahead and put it out there that we might know someone in common or that we might run into each other in a swimming social situation. And so it's already out there. We've already kind of planned ahead, like you're saying. But I can think of other social situations or work situations where I'm in small enough groups that we might interact. We might see each other. Mm -hmm. If I hear that someone's really into yoga, I might see them at my outdoor yoga class, or I might see them at some other yoga event. Might as well just put that out there. Mm -hmm. Heather, what are some times where you have self-disclosed or you chose not to self-disclose something? Generally speaking, if I can pick up on really quickly with a client that there's stuff that they're working on as boundaries, then I really am not going to disclose. Or maybe you're very thoughtful about what you do disclose. Right. The things I disclose have intent. Those are times I really stop and think they can learn that later if it's appropriate. That Mm -hmm. can come up later. I've never been asked how old I was in session, but I've had a client try to ask in a roundabout way and I didn't answer just because I thought they don't need to know. And I didn't know what benefit it was going to bring them Mm -hmm. by knowing. To go back to that a little bit. People are creative when they ask me, but sometimes they're just really direct. And they've asked me, how old are you? They've also asked me, how long have you been a counselor? Which is Mm -hmm. still the same question, Mm -hmm. but more carefully worded. And when they ask that way, I think for sure they're asking, if I feel like you've been doing this a while, I feel more confident in what we're doing together. So I usually answer that question. And sometimes they're just looking for soothing. They Mm -hmm. just need to know that you are human like them. I think an example of this for me would be within the, again, the eating disorder world is so small. Clients, professionals, there's a lot of overlap. overlap. I don't generally disclose the different eating disorder facilities or agencies that I've worked for because each one of them has a connotation or a reputation that goes with them. Mm -hmm. I will sometimes intentionally leave that out. There are other times where I'm intentional about talking about it because it builds context that maybe a client has been through one of the facilities that I've worked at and we have then a foundation of understanding. I know the program they've been through, so I know some of the things they've been asked to do or some of the rules that were expected of them. So there's some common knowledge that that's that's helpful sometimes, but other times it's not. Other times it it could be detrimental. Right. So it's helpful to stop and think about in this situation, what does it mean to this client Mm -hmm. and how does it help or hurt the situation? Right. Trying to think of some other things that I've chosen to disclose. We were talking about decorating the office. I love to decorate my office and I do it kind of seasonally Mm -hmm. rather than based on a holiday. Right. Like right now it's kind of summery and I have some American flag stuff out. Right. If I'm decorating per the season, it isn't specific to a holiday. Right. So it's not Christmas, but it's winter. Right. And they're seeing it year round. They see it change. Mm -hmm. Oh, now you put out the bring chicken. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't do Easter bunnies. Right. I don't do Halloween. I don't do Christmas or Hanukkah. But there have been times where the change in my decorations becomes a discussion or becomes part of a way that the client and I are communicating or the supervisee. I have a good amount of clients that are Jewish. And so they want to talk about or it benefits them in therapy to talk about their experience in school or in their work setting or just with peers where they were the minority or sometimes where they were the majority and how that impacted them. In that conversation, it is useful or important for them to know, well, what's your previous experience? Do you celebrate Christmas? 
Christmas? Do you celebrate Hanukkah? Do you celebrate both? And what does that look like in your family? Sometimes it is helpful to decide for which client I disclose which pieces of information. Right. I'm similar. I kind of think, how much of that do I really want to share? I had one little, um, I think he was probably nine years old one time, and he was so sweet and careful to ask. We were talking about things that could make his bedtime better. He was having a hard time at night. He said, and then I pray all by myself. And I was like, okay, would you rather have somebody pray with you? Or is that something you want to do alone? He was super anxious about bedtime. And he told me that he didn't want anybody to be part of it because it wasn't something that his mom or dad ever told him to do. It's something he learned on his own. It was something that he really wanted to hold on to. He needed to know, do you go pray with your kids every night? He needed to know from me a yes or a no. So the truth is I'm usually at work when they go to bed. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not there, but he really wanted reassurance. He could do it alone and that was okay. I was going to say, it sounds like he wanted acceptance of, is it okay with you if I'm doing this? Right, right. Is this allowed? Mm -hmm. I'm only Or is it okay for you and I to discuss this? Right. He really put some thought into how he asked and the timing. How sweet. (laughs) I think with supervisees and what I disclose, when I choose to and when I choose not to, I think that I then buffer it with information, other perspectives. Mm -hmm. Like this is what I think or what I do. And these are some other ways that you could look at it. I think I do that because I want them to know that they don't have to agree with me. Right. They don't need to do exactly the same thing you're Mm -hmm. doing. They don't have to do it the way you do it. They just need to be intentional about what they share and how. That's probably my decision-making model. I want to look at some information and then make an informed decision. So I'm probably providing my supervisees resources of information so that they can then make their informed decision. Right. And I think that all goes into the bigger picture that we were talking about is every client will be different. Every supervisee will be different in what they're searching for and in what you can give them. Mm -hmm. But then also to train them on what to share and what not to share. It is a personal decision and it is client by client, but I think there does need to be the element of the why, the why factor. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you be sharing that? Mm -hmm. What is it really doing? Mm -hmm. There needs to be a good reason. Right. Well, Heather, I did think that this article we read this week was really thoughtful. There was a lot. It was dense. There was a lot of content. So well worth the the quick read. Definitely. I actually had to read it a few times to like absorb all of it in. Mm -hmm. It was a good article. Right. Well, thanks for listening to Supervision with a Vision. You've been listening to Supervision with a Vision. Head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Therapy Academy to join the conversation and get show notes. We'll be back next week with more Supervision with a Vision.